0: all right well welcome back everyone um gonna be a little bit different of an episode this week just because matt is currently on a trip but he did some pre-recordings uh, of his Cowboys, and then he talks a little bit about the UH basketball. Uh, winning the Diamond Head Classic for the first time this weekend on Jovan McClanahan's uh, buzzer beater uh, to win the, the final. So it was a great game. Um, Matt will definitely get into the details. He was there. I was only watching it on TV. But uh, I'll get into some other stuff. You know, he's going to talk about his Cowboys um, pretty passionately. So I will go ahead and cover some of the other topics. So main one, obviously, I'm going to talk about the Dolphins. we got to start with them. <clears throat> so they played the Packers. They were at home on Christmas Day and lost that game 26 to 20. Uh they scored 20 points in the first half and then went absolutely cold in the second half. Uh obviously the big storyline of the day or of the game at least was uh Tua you know was looking good through uh I mean, two quarters, three 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 quarters you could say um but you know the fourth quarter he had a chance uh to take the lead win the game there. Um, uh, but you know, he threw three straight uh interceptions on consecutive drives to end the game. So, you know, Dolphins dropped down. They're eight and seven now. Um, still have a chance to get in the playoffs, but I'll get into that in a little bit. So let's just talk about the game first. Um, you know, they had their explosive plays, one to Tyreek, one to Jalen. Uh the Jalen one just like, you know, get him the ball in space and uh he just outran the whole defense um but you know the offense was flowing it was looking pretty good um still would have liked to see them stick to the run a little bit more i know the packers did a really good job of stopping the run uh but you know if you could get to about 20 carries i mean they were they were averaging four and a half yards a touch not terrible um so that was one thing, you know, I would have liked to see a little bit more. I thought they did. Um, you know, I think I think when they run the ball efficiently, they, they do pretty well. Um, but, you know, in this game, I know everyone's going to kill Tua, right? But, you know, too many mistakes. And, and Tua didn't play well in the fourth quarter. I will get to that. Um, but before I do, uh, I think there were just too many mistakes uh penalties especially i mean eight penalties for 62 yards a lot of holdings illegal shifts things like that that were kind of killing drives um and then you know when they had momentum and a chance to tack on uh more points right um right before the half uh mostert fumbles gives rogers the ball right back and makes it a seven point game and then, you know, to start the second half, uh, Rodgers comes back, ties the game, uh, you know, at 20. And then they have a chance to get points on the board, right? Field goal missed. And, uh, yeah, that one, that one was a big, big miss there. Uh, defense held it down, though. I-, I thought the Miami defense, you know, as poorly as they have kind of been playing. Played a really good second half. Uh, you know they let up ten points, or sorry, thirteen points, but two of them were off short short fields, uh, for the um off of two his picks. So I thought they they held their own pretty well, honestly, in that second half. So maybe they found some, you know, keys to their success there in that second half. Uh, looking forward to them continuing that because I think they're going to now have to lean on the defense in the these next two games against New England and against the Jets. So we'll have to see. But, um, yeah, I thought the defense stepped up, you know. Uh, play calling was not bad for the most part. I, I thought, you know, Mike did a pretty good job there. Uh, but let's get into Tua. So, you know, pretty uncharacteristic of Tua with these these picks that he's been throwing, or, uh, you know, he threw three picks on Sunday, and just pretty, just really uncharacteristic. I mean, he only had five uh, picks going into the game, through ended up with three, right? So, obviously, he's not been playing his best stretch of football. Uh, he played, he bounced back in the Buffalo game pretty well, I thought, right? But, um, uh, you know his numbers have been dipping a little bit the past four games. Obviously, they they lost four in a row now. Um, but the turnovers, I mean, that just can't happen. right? uh, the first first picky through, just a bad throw, completely sailed Tyreek Hill. Um, second pick, you could tell there's definitely a communication issue there with Tuva, right? And uh, the last pick, once again, just a bad ball. Um, it was it was kind of a mix of a misread of the coverage and then a bad ball as well, right? He the the corner um, was dropping into coverage and then uh, he had Tyreek on the on a slant underneath, uh, but the corner dropped off. He he's trying to get the ball to Mike Kosecki in the corner, but you know it was not. He didn't throw it. He didn't layer the ball enough over the corner, uh. Which is, you know, it's just something interesting because obviously we know Tua doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not the most athletic guy, but uh, usually he's pretty accurate. You know, the throws over the middle hardly hardly ever see him miss a simple, you know, ten yard in route to Tyreek. There, that's a, one of their staple plays they've been running all year. Um, you know, and then the second one to to mostert uh just two guys not on the same page there and the third one yeah once again not showing his accuracy you know he usually will layer it uh, to the sideline a little bit better and he's smarter than to know smart enough to know that you'd want to miss high in that situation right because uh you're go you know you have that corner underneath uh so it's just really uncharacteristic things uh, but he didn't play well in this game at all, and uh, he's going to have to, well, we'll see if he plays, first of all. Um, that was kind of the, the other big story that came out this week. So Tua, now back in Concussion Protocol, pretty interesting. Uh, there was a play that was circling on Twitter, right? Uh, it's it's a, it's a play that happened, you know, towards the end of the second second quarter. And he he throws the ball to Durham Smythe, but he gets tackled from behind. He kind of gets wrapped up. And the defender wraps him up from behind and it kind of turns him. So he slams his the back of his head against the turf again. Right? Really similar hit that he took in the Cincinnati game. And so I think there's some cause for concern there. But you know it's going to be interesting because now if he does have a concussion i i mean there's just so many things um that come into play here right so first of all uh with it being Tua of all people right the NFL had changed protocols this year because of the hit that Tua took in the Buffalo game right and so Maybe I I just think it's it's weird how the spotter didn't say anything uh, after he took a took a hit, but like they said you know, uh yesterday, you know Tua didn't come out and say he had felt any different or had any concussion like symptoms didn't display any, um until Monday, so I just think that's a little interesting but uh. You know, if he was playing a little bit concussed during the game, uh, I'm not excusing his play, but obviously a concussion is a thing that affects the brain, right? So um, you could see it maybe being a little justified by some of uh, the routine plays, at least, that he'll usually make. But we'll have to wait on the official report uh, because he's currently in protocol now. Uh, but moving forward, what this means, right, is um, they might have to go with Teddy moving forward the rest of the the next two games. Uh, you know, a lot of people are telling Tula to shut it down, consider retiring. I will just say that he definitely, he has a family now. So he has to think of that, uh, put that into perspective. But I think I heard uh, Aaron Rodgers speak on this. Uh, earlier today. So, if you know, there's a lot more research now that's out, right? Uh, a lot more research that's out now about the dangers of playing while Cust and you know, things that can happen to the brain, at least now more than say 10, 20 years ago. And so, if I'm to you know, I listen to the doctors, listen to you know, my family, talk to my family, do its best for himself his longevity his uh life after football right uh because we know cte and all the dangers of you know taking those hits uh can have an effect to your quality of life after football so i'm not saying he should retire i'm not saying he shouldn't i don't know enough i'm not educated enough uh on on that but i think uh what he needs to do is talk to his family and speak about, you know, discuss what's what's probably best for them uh in the long term. Right? So we'll have to see. Um I'm sure he wants to keep playing. We'll see if anything can be done. Maybe he learns how to get tackled differently. I, I don't I don't really know. Uh, but, you know, we'll we'll have to see what happens because if they move forward so the rest of the season, if at least the regular season, if Teddy is playing, I think Miami can get into the playoffs. I think Teddy is good enough to get them, you know, one of these wins. Hopefully they win out. Uh, but I think they can get one win. And I hope just hoping that the Jets lose to Seattle because Seattle is in, in win now mode. Mike White is coming back, but you know, he's pretty I think he's still pretty banged up. Uh, he's just gonna try to gut it out uh, because that team is not gonna win with Zach Wilson um, at least right now. And uh, so I think Miami has a chance, although at this point they can only get the seventh seed if Teddy's gonna play. You know, against Kansas City in Kansas City, I I think that's it, asking a lot out of Teddy. Uh, hopefully, Tua will be back by then. But we'll see. Who knows? They might Dolphins might shut him down for the rest of the year. Um and uh it's kinda unfortunate because you know had been playing such a good stretch. It was like almost a no brainer he was gonna get that second contract from the Dolphins. Uh he probably wouldn't get the the max money like the other guys, but um you know, I thought he played well enough. He'd probably get a decent contract at least. But we'll have to see. Um we will definitely have to see how the rest of the week plays out. So yeah. Um, okay. Well, in other news, you know, Matt talked to his football. Other than that, not a ton of football outside of that I want to talk about. I mean the Chargers clinch. Um and I think in the NFC, the Giants are still in along with Washington at the moment. So the NFC, there's still two open playoff spots. Uh, AFC has one more. So a couple games could be pretty uh, important here coming down the stretch. And so win now mode for a lot of these teams. Um, Yeah. I don't really need to talk about football. Matt's going to do a deep dive into his Cowboys. Um, just a couple things I wanted to highlight across the other sports, though. So, uh, baseball. First of all, right. The last time we talked, Carlos Correa was going to be a Giant. Uh, that flipped immediately. Now he's going to be a Met. So really unfortunate for Giants and the Giants and Giants fans, because they went they made three big pushes at marquee guys, right? Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, um, and. Carlos Correa, and they ended up getting none of them. So they had a lot of cap money just lying around. You know, they lost Rodon as well. So they're unfortunate for them. You know, kind of they don't get the big signing that they kind of wanted. Right. Um, And then Aaron Judge was named the 16th captain, I believe, Matt said. And so big accomplishment there. I think it's well-deserved, though. He'll be around for a long time, and uh, he just has the mentality and personality uh, oh, excuse me, uh, to be the captain of the New York Yankees, so uh, happy for him there. And then it was a good uh, just last topic i want going to cover before we get into Matt's part is uh, basketball, so pretty, some pretty good Christmas games, but I have to just say I think Aaron Gordon just has the dunk of the year. Um, dunked on Landry Shamit. It. I mean, you can you remember why now he's the um. uh he was so close to being a two-time NBA slam dunk champion. I thought he should have had one uh, against Zach Levine. One of those, or uh, or that first time, but, you know, um. Denver, I just want to say, looks really good. Jokic uh, should be the MVP again for the third straight year because the things he can do is just unreal. He means so much to that team. And Denver looking really, really tough, I think. Uh, if Aaron Gordon is going to play as well as he did as that third scorer, they still have Michael Porter as well. Any of those two guys on any given night could be that third scorer that they need. Um And Jamal Murray, I mean, his pick and roll with the old that they run, it's like I think that's the most one of the most unstoppable plays uh, in all of basketball right now. And especially when it comes into the playoffs, that pick and roll, they're going to operate out of that a lot. So, um yeah, it's going to be interesting. But NBA is looking good. It's it's still so close in the West. I, and it might I really think now at this point, it's Christmas now. It's It's still like this. You know, we're not seeing teams separate out in the West. I think it's going to be close the whole year. uh. So every single game is going to matter now. And uh, I think it's just good for the NBA. It makes the regular season more interesting. <sighs> but, yeah, it, it was a good week of football. Um, I'll get back to uh, – we'll get to Matt's part here now. But, uh, yeah, I hope everyone had a good Christmas. And I uh, hope everyone stay safe this New Year's Eve. Uh, You know, be smart. Don't drink and drive, obviously, and uh, yeah. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we'll get into Matt's part after this.
1: All right, guys. I think you guys all know by this point in the podcast that um, you know if the Dallas Cowboys play good on a holiday. It's a pretty good holiday for me. And what I can say is they did it. They won now on Thanksgiving and now Christmas Eve. So with that, I can actually say how out them Dallas Cowboys. Yes. You don't know how good that feels for me because I don't want to enjoy a bad Christmas. And especially this Christmas playing the Eagles Two teams that are going to the playoffs, we all know this is a big game. um probably the stakes were diminished a little bit because Dallas did not take care of business last week against Jacksonville, but regardless, it's a rivalry game. Both teams do not like each other, and yeah, it's just pure hate, pure hate with these both with these two teams, and this game was just. Ugh. From a Cowboys fan's perspective, just stress, stress 100% throughout the whole game. And it couldn't have started any worse, really. I mean, Dallas wins a toss, they defer, no problem there. But first drive, uh, Gardner Minshew, you know, maybe showing why, hey, he was a starter in this league before, comes out gets A.J. Brown on a double move against none other than Trayvon Diggs, gets beat, uh, ends up settling, or excuse me, Philadelphia ends up settling for a field goal, and then lo and behold, Dak Prescott comes right back and throws a pick six. 10-0 right out of the gates, and that is just not, not a good start. Not a good start, and I'll get into a little bit more about Dak Prescott, but we're already in a hole. You know the offense then, you know, finally starts to get the rhythm going, um, and then from there it was really it was really a shootout um, because both teams could really do anything at will. I would say on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so let's start with that. Let's start with that for Dallas. So my takeaways from this game is let's start with none other than the man, Kellen Moore. He's the mastermind behind the offensive, the game plan, the strategy, the play calling, obviously. And, you know, we always analyze him after each game. And he was, to me, not very good. Not very good. And my two reasonings are this. Let's start with this. So Kellen Moore, I don't know what it is about him, but I think this is every offensive coordinator's tendencies, right? You come out, your first 14, 15 plays are basically scripted. Like you already know, I'm going to run these plays to start the game, get some momentum. You know, this is what we're going to do to establish the flow of the game. And for some reason, I don't know what it is, every first and 10, we are calling a dive up the middle. And Philadelphia knew exactly what was coming. Now, explain to me if I keep getting stuffed on the same play, why do I keep calling it on the exact same situation? Like, I'm happy that he wants to establish the run, right? We had 31 carries. That'll work. You know, that's a good balance. 31 to 35 passes. You know, we're a little bit over, but for the most part, we're pretty balanced, but you don't just keep calling the same run play over and over. Like, what do I always say? Get Tony Pollard to the edge, right? We he had some success getting in the flat. Even Zeke, he had a nice run to the outside. So if you keep that in mind, that's how you attack and establish a ground game. You don't you don't establish a ground game by running up the middle. And getting stopped. And now you're in second and long. And then that puts pressure on your quarterback to make a play. And with a quarterback that's throwing picks every single game at this point, that's a recipe for disaster. So you can't be doing that. And then when things are going well, this is my second problem with Kellen Moore. He tries to get a little too cute. Right? The defense gets a turnover. We're feeling good. But we're moving the ball at this point. We're still moving the ball. This is in the second quarter. And we call it we call it Kavante Turpin in the game, which I got excited about. He's very explosive. But you call a like a throwback reverse pass, and Dak gets sacked. I mean, that just that just kills the momentum. We ended up scoring on that drive, but as a fan, and we, we got lucky too, first off, because it was a fourth down. We don't get the fourth down conversion. But T.Y. Hilton made some big plays in this game. That was one big play he made getting a a pass interference to extend that drive. But in the beginning of the drive, you put yourself in a second and 20. Like if you're going to take a shot, it's a play action, right? To me, you're going to take a play action. You're going to run a go route with Michael Gallup, or you attack down the seams with Dalton Schultz or CD, but you don't call this long play that takes so much time to develop when your offense is really in a groove at this point. And that's the thing that just frustrates me about Ken Moore. It's like when you want him to do something, he just he just throws something at you that you don't expect. Or he does the same thing over and over again. So, you know, it's the life of, of a Cowboy fan. We have to deal with this mediocrity as our OC. So this needs to change to me. Um, I was very frustrated last week with the play calling. Still frustrated again. I I, I just don't understand... The the I guess you could say the tendencies that he he tends to just keep staying in, um, so that's a problem. But at this point, we've got two games to fix that, two games to fix that. So I I really hope to see some improvement on that side uh, from Kellen Moore in terms of a play caller. But you know, let's move to the players here on the offensive side of the ball. So I mentioned T Y Hilton, right? We signed him a couple weeks ago. He didn't play last week, was just kind of getting his feet. Uh, Warren last week he was inactive, but this was his first game. Um, not really expecting too much. He's a 33 year old. Um, you know, just just coming in off the streets, and we just need him to make a couple plays here and there. And to me, I counted two plays that were critical, critical plays. The first one is what I met- I just mentioned it wasn't a catch, but it was a savvy move. T.Y. Hilton against Darius Slay. You could argue he's the best corner in the league at this point. But he draws a penalty on fourth down, which was huge because that leads to a touchdown for us. And the second one, oh my goodness. This is like the play of the game, you could argue. We're backed up, third and 30. We need a score. And he catches the long ball. 52-yard bomb. That's just unreal, unreal to me. I mean, that's that's exactly what you need. And it ends up setting up a, a C.D. Lamb touchdown to give us the lead. So you got T.Y. in there. He makes a couple nice plays. That's what we're going to need. I'm not expecting C- T.Y. Hilton to be Colts T.Y. Hilton, to have 10 catches, 100 yards every single game. That's not his job. We got another guy that wears number 88, whose job is to do that. But if T.Y. Hilton can make plays on third downs, get key conversions, just be a safety blanket for Dak and make a couple plays here and there, that's all I can ask for. And so far, great start, a great start. And, you know, we can only expect things to to get better for him as he gets more comfortable in this offense and in the couple weeks leading up to the playoffs. So a good start for T.Y. Hilton. I'm thrilled uh, with his performance. And the second guy, oh, my goodness, C.D. Lamb, Mr. 88. He wears that number for a reason in Dallas. And he showed why. 10 catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns on 11 targets. So it's nice to see him and Dak uh, staying on the same page for once. But, man, th- this kid, he is blossoming into, Yep, yeah, I'm going to say it. The fan, you can disagree with me. Disagree with me, but he's a top five receiver right now. He's in the Pro Bowl for a reason. I mean, he's cooking uh, top corners, whether it was Bradbury, it was uh, Darius Slay, guys in the slot. He was giving him all the business. He was tucking in that chain, woo, in motion, tucks in the chain, runs a route, scores a touchdown. I mean, it was just smooth. I mean, he is rocking the confidence right now. So, CeeDee Lamb, just another terrific performance. You know, we're going to need that from him, but he was born for this. He's born to wear 88. And this is why. This is why I'm saying he's a top five receiver because you need, when you need him most, he steps up. That's exactly what he did. But, you know, we always can't end the offensive talk without talking about Mr. Prescott. And, you know, the stats look good. This is this is what's frustrating about Dak, for me. Twenty-seven of thirty-five, pretty good completion percentage there. He had a uh, three hundred forty-seven yards, three touchdowns, had one pick. So pretty good stat line there, but gosh, the the turnovers just continue to happen, and it's just not a this just cannot keep going. The one pick today was a pick six puts us back in the hole 10 zero. And maybe with a Jalen hurts led team, we don't come back. Like that's just, and it's not even like a bad pick or like a good pick, you know, where it's like, you throw a ball deep, it gets picked off out of bounds. Okay, whatever. But it's like you threw the ball right into Josh Sweat's hands. When you had Dalton Schultz wide open in the flat for an easy eight to 10 yard game. All you got to do is lob it over his head. There's no defender, so you can take something off your throw. And I don't know what you were thinking. You threw it right in, his, right in his hands. Just that can't happen. We paid you $75 million last season alone. And now you, you're leading the NFL in turnovers since you've been back from injury. How can we expect that? How can we trust you? How can the team trust you to take care of the ball? Right? Again, Cooper Rush was in. I'm not saying he can make the throws that you make, but he sure took care of the ball, right? He took care of the ball. And that's why it was so beautiful to watch for me because we're playing carefree football, complimentary football with our defense, which I will get to shortly. But you just can't make those kind of interceptions and you got lucky again with another fumble, Right? It just so happens that Biotish jumps on it, but it looked like we lost it, and that was going to lose the game for us. It's these turnover. You have the turnover bug deck, and this is scary to me as a quarterback. So you can't be doing this. This cannot be kept up. You, you got to think of it this way now, right? We're two games back of the Eagles with two games to play. The odds of them losing two, Pretty slim, even with Minshew at quarterback. So for the most part, you're pretty set as the five seed now. So you got to think of this as like two games to get yourself right and take off once the playoffs start. That's what I'm looking at right now. And I'm not seeing any sign of you cleaning up the turnovers. It's not like your picks are like deflected or it's like, you know, it's like straight at guys. Straight at guys, wide open interceptions for the other team. That can happen. And, you know, let's let's move to the fourth quarter. And this is this is why it's so frustrating, too, for me. Right? You're a you're a well-known quarterback, a veteran in this league now. You got a big contract, and you gotta be the worst, the worst quarterback at clock management late in the game. Right? Defense gets you a big turnover. DeRon Bland, huge pick, just rips the ball out of Quez Watkins. Now we can run out the clock. Right on before the two-minute warning. So Kellen Moore, again, I ripped on him, but he had a great play call. Caught a read option. Dak makes the right read, keeps it. Gets the first down. But goes out of bounds with two minutes and one second left. So you're telling me you get the first down, all you got to do there, first off, get tackled inbounds, take a knee, lie down, just stay in bounds, <laughs> stay inbounds and hang on to the ball because you want that clock to hit the two-minute warning with the Eagles having three timeouts. And by you going out of bounds, one, you keep them from keeping, keep, you keep, now they have all their timeouts still and they have the two-minute warning. So you're giving them a, almost an extra timeout to stop you. All right. So that you already messed up once there. That's a huge mis- mistake. Now you move, let's move to the next play. Now at 201, I like this call by Ken Lamar, right? You got the two minute warning, the next play. Let's let's call a pass, right? Why not? The clock's gonna stop regardless. So he calls a play action boot and nobody's open. Nobody's open, right? And they always say, you know, when you're in these late game situations, it's better to take a sack. But in this very moment, the worst thing you can do is take a sack outside of a turnover. Because the two-minute warning is coming up. You already know the clock is going to get stopped. So if nobody's open, just throw it away. The clock's going to stop regardless. Don't take a sack and lose 10 yards. Right? I mean, just... just And then the next play, it's like Pollard gets outside, you know, a good run. But without the sack, he scores a touchdown and the game's over. We would have been up two scores. It's like, that's the kind of things that just frustrate me watching this guy play quarterback. We pay him the big bucks. Fine, you you want the big bucks, but we're going to ask you to do a lot. And if you can't deliver, you're going to get criticized. I don't know what it is about the NFL, that just doesn't give you the criticism that you deserve that all these other quarterbacks are getting right. But I'm, I'm here as a Cowboys fan. I'm telling you the truth. Like if you get the big box, I expect you to manage the clock. Well, I expect you to do these things. I expect you to take care of the ball. I expect you to be able to lead our team in clutch, clutch victories. I expect you to be the face of our team, which you're not. Because Michael Parsons is. So that's that's my deal with Dak. That's the two things. You turn the ball over too much and you manage clock management poorly. Probably the worst two things as a quarterback. But, well, you know, at the end of the day, he got the win. So congrats, Dak. I'll give you my pause. But, you know, Cooper Rush is on the bench just waiting his turn. All right, but let, let's just move to the to the defensive side of the ball. And this is a little concerning because Jalen Hurts is not playing, and we got Gardner Minshew, and Minshew Mania absolutely went off. 24-40, 355 yards passing. I know he had two picks, but and he probably should have had more because he missed a couple throws. But yeah, defense, the the corners, it's concerning because we don't have obviously Anthony Brown. And Jordan Lewis are two and three corners. Trayvon Diggs had a pretty rough game, was you know getting baited on the double moves. You know, it, it shows in the stat sheet. Devontae Smith, eight catches, 113 yards, two touchdowns. AJ Brown had 103 yards receiving. Dallas Goddard was mossing everybody. <laughs> you know, Donovan Wilson, Malik Hooker, J-Ron He was giving them the business. So it's a little concerning on the outside. Um, we just need to find that that outside corner. Because to me, to Ron Bland, who possibly made the play of the game, right, rips the ball out of Quez Watkins with a chance to tie for the Eagles, uh, he is blossoming into a star on this team. But he, he he's found the role as that slot corner in the nickel, the nickel package. Right? If Nashawn Wright or somebody not named Kelvin Joseph can step up to be the number two guy the rest of the year on the outside. That's what we're gonna need. Because we wanna keep Deron Bland in the nickel package. So I need to find that guy. And I again I got two weeks to figure it out. Maybe it's Kelvin Joseph, maybe it's Nashaun Wright, maybe it's one of those guys we signed, you know, a couple weeks ago. Trayvon Mullen, I don't know but we got to find the outside guy because we've got to keep Deron Bland in the slot because that's where he is just growing on us. Um, you know, what's also concerning is the pressure, right? I know the Eagles are known for their line. They got Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, but you're telling me you got no sacks, no sacks. We're not playing Jaden Hurts too. Yes. Minshew can move, but you, you got no sacks on Gardner Minshew. And you got two pro bowlers up front, Micah Parsons, D Law, you got a blossoming star in Dorrance Armstrong, you got a hellacious front seven, you know, D-line, and you get zero sacks. That is not gonna win games in the playoffs. Let me tell you that. When I'm talking about zero sacks, I'm talking about Micah Parsons, right? You're to me our best player on the team, the face of the team. You're the star, the star in defense, especially, right? I need you. I need you, man. This is the third, fourth game in a row. You just really no-showed. So I need you when it comes to the playoffs, especially you got to wreak havoc, like how you were doing in the first half of the season, right? And maybe it's the fatigue, you know, late in the season, but we need you, man. We need you to be a game changer. Because look at what Nick Bosa is doing in San Francisco. That's what I expect you to do. And you can do it better. I know you can. But that's why he's getting the recognition now. And you're not necessarily. He's figured something out. How to beat double teams. How to get to the quarterback. And now it's your turn to adjust. Adjust to what they're doing. They're Throwing more. Blocking down your side. They're helping on your side more. Which is respect to you. But you got to take that next step and be the Von Miller, be the Lawrence Taylor, be JJ Watt, whoever, you know, in their prime, Aaron Donald, be that type of guy and just dominate. And you got to do it when the game is on the line, right? I need you on that last drive to make a play. And you did make a play. It wasn't a sack, but I like the effort. But we got to get bigger plays throughout the game for you. Because without you, we ain't going nowhere. But, you know, at the end of the day, the defense, it was so concerning. But you guys made the plays when it counted the most late in the game. We got the turnovers, you know, credit Mike McCarthy. I thought he was going to go for it on that last drive, but he kicks a field goal, which I thought was the right decision. You know, you give the defense more room for error, right? Now you force Philadelphia to score a touchdown instead of just getting 30, 40 yards and kicking a game-tying field goal. Right, and that that was the difference in the game. And you guys buckled down in the red zone, and locked it down when it counted the most. And that's what it to me it's about. Right, you make the plays when it counts the most in the playoffs. Right, you can be the worst team all year, but if you get into the playoffs and you peak at the right time, hey, you'll be the Super Bowl champs. And that's our goal. So let's build on this. Uh, we got Tennessee coming up on Thursday. This week, so a short week. But um, you know, they're you can't take them lightly because they got King Henry. You know they're gonna run the ball with him, especially with Tannehill out. So I need to see that line take over the game on Thursday. And Dak, I just need you to take care of the ball, and we'll be fine. And then we'll Philly will take care of itself, but let's focus on us. All right? But at the end of the day, we gotta win. Enjoy the holidays because you guys did it. You guys won on Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. So for that, I'm very, very happy. And I'm going to enjoy this win. So we'll see you. We'll see you next time on Thursday, Dallas. I'll be watching. Man, UH basketball, what a Diamond Head Classic tournament it was. I'm sure as you guys know, UH had that crazy, crazy buzzer beating win against SMU in the Diamond Head Classic Championship on Christmas Eve. Um, probably one of the biggest shots in UH basketball history by Javon McClanahan. Um, but we want to talk about the rest of the tournament and how it went for UH so let's go back to game one so UH opens up against Pepperdine in the first round it was a pretty nail-biting win Um, 76-70 the final UH kind of you know had control of this game early it was a hot start uh, up by 14 at the half but we let Pepperdine hang around they just kind of clawed their way back just hung around to the end um and UH had to you know buckle it down late in the game with Jovan you know our hero uh doing a very nice job knocking down late game free throws i think his stat line was he was 9 for 12 from the free throw line in that game but really the story of this game is um you could see the balance and the firepower of UH in this game Kamaka Hepa had 19 points an efficient 7 of 11 from the field, Simuto to Avea with 11, did a great job rebounding as well. He also had 10 rebounds, so a double-double. Jovan had 17. Nine of his points came from the line, so you're nice to see that. And then obviously our man scoring the basketball this year is Noel Coleman, who had 22 points in this game. So a very nice balanced attack in this game. Um, the only concern to me was there was not a lot of production from the bench. We had one point <laughs> from our bench, from Harry Rulidev, Morsek, Justice Jackson, and beyond Riley. So we needed to see more um, bench support, you could say, bench points. And this wasn't the case. Um, it was really a starters you know, carrying and HEPA and Coleman being the main two scores on this team they showed why they're, you know, legit starters and, and a force to be reckoned with in the Big West Conference. But 76-70, you always want a good uh, opening night win to get you into the semifinals. Um, and in the semifinals, as we transitioned to Game 2, um, UH ended up going up against Washington State, who came up with a pretty tough victory against George Washington in their opening round matchup. But this game um, was really about Samuta Abea. Um, building off of that double-double he had in the first game, he comes out, he scores 19 points to lead the Rainbow Warriors. He goes eight for 14 from the field, two for four from the three-point line. Um, he was the guy because Coleman was a little off. Uh, Bernardo da Silva was quiet. Kamaka Hepa was quiet. Um, we needed guys to step up, and guys like Samuta was there. Uh, Jovan was very efficient. He was six of seven from the field, four for four from the line. So that'll always do, right? When you make your free throws, an efficient uh, performance from Jovan. But really, uh, this was kind of the the coming out party for one of the UH bigs, and I'm talking about Morsec. Morsec, the seven one beast. Uh, you know, he played eight minutes in this game, did not score a point, but he had six rebounds and maybe, yeah, he had six rebounds in eight minutes, right? That's a lot of rebounds, you ask me. But you could definitely feel his presence, and his ability to shot block, and also just to alter shots in the paint. He didn't have a block, but guys were altering their shots. You could tell he was a presence in the paint, and it was nice to see him and uh, be on Riley, you know, being kind of that energizer running off the bench. You played a nice 14 minutes, gave us five points off the bench. So that's what you want to see, right? The bench being able to contribute a little bit, uh, give the starters a nice break, and maintain that lead. But, yeah, I think this was a, a great showing for more SEC. And, you know, as we transition to the next game in the championship, we could see why. Um, UH ends up being Washington State 62-51. to and we advanced to the first ever uh championship game appearance for the University of Hawaii and in that championship game this is probably one of the gr- craziest games uh in college basketball this year uh, UH ends up winning 58-57 at the buzzer uh but this game was was trouble early um our guys Samuta Noel they got into foul trouble early so they were pretty much non-existent for the first half. And we needed to see more um, guys off the bench, right? Harry Diff came on early. He struggled. Justice Jackson came on early. He struggled. He got yanked. But the guys who stepped up more sec again with his coming out party in this game, my goodness, 13 minutes off the bench, had 9.6 rebounds, 2 blocks and he was he was a force because smu is a very long lanky team so we needed that size to to counter um smu right harry kind of a finesse big uh pick and pop kind of guy but he's a little too you know i could say not mobile i guess not enough speed from him and we allowed guys to get beat off the dribble. So it wasn't really a a good matchup for him. So that's why more six minutes were huge for us. And obviously, Beyond Riley coming in, he played 26 minutes, had 13 points off the bench. And with Samuta being in foul trouble um, and really kind of just struggling throughout the game, uh, he was huge, 13 points. He was kind of the guy that was starting the rally for us. Um, and really kept us in the game in that first half and the second half, made timely shots. But in that second half, um, yeah, UH, they they were struggling. We were struggling early, and the guy who brought us back, which was nice to see, was our starting big, Bernardo da Silva, who finished with 13 points. But his aggressiveness in the second half was absolutely huge. I mean, he was huge for us. Um, because we didn't get anything going. Noel Coleman was really struggling you know, for the first half because he wasn't playing. He was in foul trouble. Um, he did have nine points, but just wasn't having that Noel Coleman impact. So the fact that Bernardo was able to kind of weather the storm uh, was huge. But I don't think anybody cares about this part, right? We only want to talk about what happened at the end because that was really the story of the game. So uh we have the ball we're down two and there's about 30 seconds left we're down two so keep that in mind and off the timeout right the ball is inbounded to javon at the top of the key and we're just standing there we wait we wait maybe 10 seconds before our rotations start to to move and to find their their actual play and by the time everything's going it's like what are you doing you're just wasting 10 seconds. You want that time, especially when you're down in the game. Because you have to account for, okay, if we miss, we still have at least a chance to foul, extend the game. Like We're not just going to live on a do-or-die shot at the end of the game. And that's what UH, it seemed like they were doing, which was terrifying. And it came back to bite us because Noel Coleman dribbles the ball off his foot. And we're like, oh boy, here we go. This is This is it. But lo and behold the the basketball gods on Christmas were just good to us at the late late game SMU gets a one and one they they miss and Samuta Aveya gets the ball and throws it away throws it away. So that to me was I thought this is the game. It's over. um you know it, it was a you know, it's going to be a very tough second-place finish because we thought we should have won this game. And SMU, you know, okay, we go through it again. We foul, but they're still in the one one situation, and they missed again. So SMU misses two in one chances to put us away, and they they, give, they gave us a chance at the end of the game. And UH calls their last timeout, and they draw up a perfect play to allow Jovan to get a running start. And lo and behold, Jovan McClanahan, who is probably the big man on campus at this point, hits a on-the-run, game-winning three. And he got fouled, so it was a four-point play. It's, it's just like, wow. You need, like As a fan, being there at the game, you're just like in shock. You're screaming, but you don't even know what happened because it just happened so fast. Jovan hits the three, gets fouled, So after the whole thing, you know, kind of settles down, you know, there's still 0.9 seconds left on the shot clock. So Javon very smartly tries to intentionally miss the free throw attempt to allow time to run off the clock. And for some reason, the refs said that SMU gets a timeout. And what I don't understand is how can you miss a free throw, get the rebound and call timeout in under a second? That makes absolutely no sense to me no sense can if if you can figure if somebody can figure that out for me please tell me how that's possible because I, i truly don't know how you can do all of that in less than a second but somehow the ref said he did they get the timeout they throw up a last minute prayer hawaii wins so it's just like everything happens so fast but man javon mcclanahan you know i gotta give it i gotta give it to you man um you know, I'm I'm more of a Justice Jackson style kind of guy. You know, I like the flair, the flash. But, you know, I got to give it up to you, man. You stepped up when we needed you most, right, in that first game. You were closing the game out for us, making late-game free throws. And especially in this game, right, you know, you're playing great defense at the end. you got a nice defensive stand forcing a shot clock violation. And then, obviously, you hit the game-winning three. So you, I see the winning plays – are starting to come uh, with his play. So I have to give him credit for that. And he is a critical part to this team. I do think that Justice Jackson and other guys should get more minutes, but he is an important part to this team and, and he showed his value throughout this tournament. So a well-deserved, most outstanding tournament player award for Jovan McClanahan. And let's hope that we can build off of this momentum because we won the first ever tournament championship in program history so let's put off of this into conference play because that's what counts and we all know this team uh can do big things this year and make a run at the big dance so let's enjoy this tournament win
0: and let's focus now to big west play